Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. First Peter chapter 2. Verses uh, 13 through 17, uh, we are going through this study on the book of First Peter. We're just taking one passage at a time as we move through this. The series is called Walking in Hope, and you might remember that last Sunday um, we learned from Peter that we as Christians are called to make a difference in this world, and one of the ways we do that is by knowing who we are and knowing how to act. And Peter exhorted us in last week's passage that we should live such good lives among the Gentiles or among the pagans that they would see our good deeds and glorify God in heaven. And so that was kind of a general exhortation that Peter gave us. And now in our passage this morning and in some of the subsequent passages, Peter is giving us some concrete examples of how to do that, how to live good lives among the Gentiles. And the common theme that seems to be running through the next few passages is that the way, one of the ways for us to live these good lives is to submit to authority in our lives, to be people willing to submit to authority. Now, I can just imagine everybody's heart's just kind of sinking when you hear that. Uh, We just tend to be people that don't like authority, do we? I mean, we are suspicious of authority. We question authority. And, of course, there's this phrase, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we know there's truth to that, that very often when people get authority, things go sour. Authority is very easily abused. That's true. And for some of you, perhaps you're suspicious of authority because you've seen authority in your own life abused. You've seen husbands mistreat wives. You've seen parents abuse children. You've seen pastors manipulate congregations. You've seen bosses take advantage of employees. You've seen world leaders, dictators oppress their citizenship. You've seen these things. And so you're suspicious of authority. Well, What's so interesting about this passage is that Peter has every reason to be suspicious about authority because he's writing when there was a man named Nero who was the ruling emperor at the time. Nero ruled from 54 to 68 in the Roman Empire. If you know anything about Nero, you know that he was a wicked man, committed unspeakable atrocities, had his own mother executed. There was a fire in Rome in the year 64, and um, nobody was really sure who set the fire, but a lot of suspicions say Nero probably did it. But what Nero did is he took that as an excuse to persecute Christians, and he said it was the Christians who set that fire. And everybody knew that wasn't true. It was proved that that wasn't true. But Nero used that as an excuse to arrest Christians and torture Christians and even burn Christians alive. That's what Nero did. Nero was the authority figure in Peter's life. Now with that context in mind, watch what Peter says. 
Watch this. In verses 13 through 17, 1 Peter 2. If you have that, please stand for the reading of God's word. 1 Peter 2, starting with verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. God in heaven, we pray, please, by your spirit, open our eyes to behold truth, soften our hearts to receive it, change us. As your word is preached, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. In God's providence, uh, Zach Hanji actually taught Sunday school this morning on this exact same topic from the Westminster Confession in relation to the civil magistrate, and uh, we did not confer beforehand, and uh, I did not even know that that was going to take place. So this is in God's providence. He must want us to pay attention uh, to this topic this morning. So we're thinking about living under authority, how that happens here from 1 Peter chapter 2. Three things that Peter tells us about living under authority. Zach did a, a wonderful job, by the way. Good job, Zach. First thing is this, obey authority as to God. This is what Peter says. <clears throat> Verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake, he says, to every human institution. Be subject for the Lord's Sake. So why does he say here, for the Lord's sake? I think what Peter is trying to communicate here is that we are to be subject, to submit, to obey to authority, ultimately not because of the authority who is in place, but for the Lord's sake, because ultimately our submission to earthly authorities is a submission to a heavenly authority. Because every earthly authority has been instituted by God. Every earthly authority has its authority derived from God. God has delegated authority to earthly leaders, and all earthly leaders who have authority are accountable to God. And so Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake. Now, there's other passages that make this even clearer. Romans 13, the classic passage on this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. John chapter 19, here's Jesus. He's being interrogated by Pontius Pilate, one of the governing authorities at the time. Pontius Pilate is interrogating him, and Jesus answered him and says, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. So all earthly authority exists because God has given it to people. So we pray here on Sunday mornings for earthly authorities. Peter Olson is our Yorktown manager. His authority is derived from God. Mayor Dennis Tyler rules in Muncie with an authority given to him by God. Mike Pence is governor of the state of Indiana because God endued him with authority and placed him there. Barack Obama is President of the United States and has been given authority from God and has been instituted as our nation's leader by God. 
That's what the scriptures are teaching us. So Peter is saying, be subject to these human authorities for the Lord's sake, because ultimately it always comes from the Lord. But he goes on to say, notice, that it's to every human institution. So Peter has in mind here not just governing authorities. He does primarily, because he goes on, whether it be as to the emperor as supreme or to governors, but he says every human institution. So everybody here at some place in your life is under some kind of authority. And so the charge of the Scriptures is that you need to be subject, submissive to, compliant with that authority, whatever it might be. Children, you are called to be submissive to your parents. You're called to obey them. Your mom and dad have been given authority over you, and this is the will of God, it says in verse 15. If you want to know what God's will is, children, what God wills for you is that you would be submissive and obedient to your parents. It's a human institution, the family, ordained by God. Uh, most of us have jobs. If you have a job, you are probably under the authority of a boss. That's an authority, again, given to that authority in your life, and you are called to be subject to that, to be submissive to your bosses. Uh, students are in positions to be submissive to teachers and professors that have been placed over them. Students, you need to be submissive to and obedient to your teachers. And friends, there's also the institution of the church, and in the church, God has set forth elders as leaders of the church, and so as members of a church, you are called to be submissive and obedient to the elders of the church. Now, I'm not saying that because I get a kick out of people being obedient. I'm saying that because this is what the Bible says. Hebrews 13, 17, you can look that up, and it says exactly that. Be obedient to your leaders. So, obeying authority as to God is the message that Peter is communicating here. So, it's every institution um, that is in view here, but it's more specifically the government, as I said. And so in verse 14, Peter goes on to tell us what the government is set aside or ordained to do. So the emperor is supreme, governors are sent by him. What does the government do? It's to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. There's something not right when the government doesn't affirm what is right and what is good. That, that's a problem. But the passage also says that it is the responsibility of the government to punish those who do evil. It's not just to reform those who do evil. It's not just to restore them. It's not just to rehabilitate them. Of course, that's part of it, and we want criminals to be rehabilitated in prison. But the Bible clearly says that one of the jobs of the government is to inflict punishment on wrongdoers. And one of the reasons for this is because it has to happen in order for us to have a society that can function in a reasonable way. It's for this reason that as Christians we ought to be thankful for the government because God has placed the government in such a way that it would execute vengeance on wrongdoers so peace and security can be maintained in a community. Without government, it would be all hell on earth breaking forth, quite literally. That's what uh, John 
Calvin says, unless government restrained the boldness of wicked men, the whole world would be full of robberies and murders. A guy uh, named Robert Charles Winthrop, former um, Supreme Court justice, said, men, in a word, must necessarily be controlled either via power within them or by a power without them, either by the word of God or by the strong arm of man, either by the Bible or by the bayonet. There's a lot of people who aren't Christians, a lot of people. It's not to say that non-Christians can't live peacefully in a society, but if there aren't any restraining institutions placed on earth, things would get really ugly. And so we should be thankful for that. So, you know, this is just the bottom line here. What Peter is giving us here, isn't it true, is a positive view of government. I, I know a lot of you are very frustrated with our government. But what Peter is saying here is that government is something to be subjected to, it's something to be obeyed, it's something to be thankful for. Isn't it wonderful that there are laws in place that help this society to function well? Isn't it wonderful that there are police officers on the streets who are enforcing laws? That's a good thing. And one of the ways that we as Christians can obey authority is by being submissive to police, by obeying the speed limit, by paying our taxes. Christians ought to be model citizens, obedient model, model citizens in the world. This is one of the ways that Peter is saying that we can do these good deeds. So that point is clear, obey authority. Well, the second point is this, obey authority also to silence the world. Look at verse 15. There's a reason for all of this. Peter says this is the will of God, that is, being subject to authority, <clears throat> that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. What was probably happening is that there were non-Christians who were looking at Christians and they were hearing Christians talk about their king, King Jesus. We worship and follow King Jesus. And a lot of people at the time said, oh wait, you follow that king? Well, what about the emperor? You're not following the emperor. And people got afraid, and they got alarmed by that. And they looked at Christians, they said, they have some other king in mind that they want to put on the throne. And they said, you Christians, you're insurrectionists, you're revolutionaries. And what Peter is saying here is, no, be subject to government so those foolish people who say those things can be made silent so that their mouths would be closed as they watch the way Christians submit to governmental authorities. I mean, let's admit, no matter what it is you're thinking about our current governmental situation, there is something very anti-revolutionary about this passage. This passage is not a call to arms, is it? It's the exact opposite. You know, some people just kind of get this idea, they're just so proud of being a rebelling against authority. It's like a badge of honor among some people. Um, that's, that's not biblical. Just rebelling against authority for the sake of rebelling. God's not pleased with that, clearly from this passage. So obey authorities in order to silence the world. And yet at the same time, let's back up and ask this question. Should a Christian be obedient to governmental authorities on every occasion without exception? And the answer to that is no. And there are 
times when a Christian should resist governmental authority. And I'll, I'll show you this, how this can be um, <clears throat> made consistent even with what Peter here uh, is saying. Okay, in what cases are we to resist governmental authority? The first is this, when we're commanded to do wrong. So an example of that would be in Exodus chapter 1. The king of Egypt commands the Hebrew midwives to murder the firstborn sons of the Jews. So here's a command to do wrong from the king of Egypt. And the Hebrew midwives said this to the king. The midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. They said no. And this was later commended. It was the right thing for these midwives to not do what the government told them to do because what they were commanded to do was wrong. So clearly in the Bible, here is at least one example where it's right to resist authority. But here's another example. It's when we're prevented from doing right. If the government seeks to prevent us from doing right, I would say we have not just the permission but the duty to resist what the government would call us to do. So another biblical example would be Acts chapter 5. Now here's what's really interesting about Acts chapter 5 is that Acts 5 is the story of Peter, the same Peter who wrote this passage. Peter and the apostles are preaching the gospel and the authorities of the day, the religious leaders, the Jewish high priests and the Sanhedrin, they come to Peter and the apostles and they say, we don't want you talking about this Jesus anymore. We order you to stop. And what do Peter and the apostles say? They say this, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God. We can't obey you in this. You're commanding us to stop doing right, and we're not going to do it. And Peter went on and continued to preach the gospel. It's the same Peter who's telling us to be subject to the authorities is a man who in some place in his life didn't obey the authorities. So we have to think about this in a very nuanced way. There, there are examples when we have the permission and even the duty to resist governmental authorities. There's a number of examples uh, of this throughout history. There's a guy named Justin Martyr from the second century. We get our word martyr from his last name because the emperor at the time commanded Christians to make sacrifices to pagan gods and Justin Martyr stepped up and says we are Christians we do not sacrifice to idols and he wouldn't do it and he lost his head for it He's beheaded here's Rosa Parks you remember her from Montgomery Alabama 1955 there was a law at the time that said that an African-American would have to stand up and give his or her seat to a white person and then go to the back of the bus if there were no other available seats. And so in 1955, Rosa Parks was sitting on a seat and some white person came in and the bus driver said, get up and go to the back of the bus. And she said, no, I'm not going to do it. She refused and she got arrested. And she has gone down in history now as the mother of the civil rights movement. Again, this was 1955. Uh, another example, a guy named Martin Niemöller, who was a German pastor when Adolf Hitler was in power and the Nazis were ruling, 
and all sorts of unjust, wicked laws were being passed under the Nazi authority. And Martin Niemöller would preach from his pulpit uh, against these laws. He preached against the government. And he was told not to preach these things anymore. He refused. He continued to preach. He got put in jail. And there's a story told of how Martin is in jail, and another pastor comes to him and says, Martin, look, just do what they say. Just comply with the government, and they'll let you go, and then you can go out and you can continue your ministry. And what Martin said to him as a pastor, he said, what I want to know is why you're not in jail. You're a pastor. How come you're not in here with me? What Niemöller was saying is that there could be times when to not be in jail could be a sign of unfaithfulness. Now, how does this apply to us where there might be an opportunity for us to resist governmental authority? Well, Zach talked about this a little bit in Sunday school, and the whole same-sex marriage thing is a big issue in our country. And it's something that's becoming legal in more and more states. And, um, you know, it's not legal here yet in the state of Indiana, but it might be. And so it's possible that the day could come when there could be a law that would say that Christian pastors must perform same-sex weddings. And if we get to that point, and that's the law, and two men or two women come in and they say, Pastor Bob, I want you to perform our ceremony, I'm going to say no. I'm not going to do that. Even if it is the law of the land, I'm not going to do it. And I would hope that you as a congregation would support that because we must obey God and not men. And that would be an example, in my opinion, where resistance to governmental authority would be appropriate. And, and there are others, but that's the one that's most pressing upon us, I think, now. So one more thing. There's another reason to obey authority, and it's because of the gospel. We need to obey authority because of the gospel. What do I mean by that? Well, it's because of this. The gospel, friends, sets us free. Right? We, we are free because of the gospel. Jesus came, obeyed the law on our behalf. That makes us free from having to obey the law to save ourselves. We're free from that. Jesus came and shed his blood to pay for our sins, so we are free from our sins. We're free from shame and guilt. We've been freed. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. He overcame the powers of death. So now, you and I who trust in Christ are free from the powers of death and the dominion of sin. Jesus has set us free. It's what he says in John 8. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. It's one of the wonderful things about being a Christian. Freedom. So what do we do with our freedom? And that's where Peter picks up in verse 16. Live as people who are free, he says. But what should we do with our freedom? Are we now free to say, hey, I don't have to recognize any governmental authority or any authority over me. I can do what I want. No. Peter says, don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but live as servants of God. This is why God has freed you. He's freed you from your sin and freed you from Satan and freed you from the power of death that you have now a new master 
the risen Lord Jesus Christ, and now you are responsible to Him. He is the one you are called to obey, and what He calls you to do is to use your freedom to serve. And in the context of this passage, the service seems to be in view of the way we respond to government. That one of the ways we use our freedom is submitting to the government because it pleases God, not because we are afraid of the government, not because we deify the government, but because we have a God who exists above the government and calls His people to submit to the authorities that He has placed on this earth. And in the knowledge that the day is coming when Christ the King will return and all earthly governments will end and a true, righteous, and holy authority will reign on the earth for all eternity. That day is coming. And so in the meantime now, we please our Lord through acts of submission. And look how he finishes this this text. It's just interesting. He says, honor everyone, verse 17, Everyone deserves our honor. Everyone. No matter how much they might offend you, no matter how much you might be in disagreement with them, honor everyone. That's a big, wide group of people. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Love the church. Love your brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the emperor. He doesn't say honor God, fear the emperor. Fear God, honor the emperor. I think what Peter's saying is here, you don't have to fear President Obama. You don't have to fear Emperor Nero. You don't have to fear any leader, any earthly leader. The only one you have to fear is God because he is the one, according to the words of Jesus, what did Jesus say? Don't fear the one who can kill the body. Fear the one who is sovereign over body and soul. That's our King Jesus. That's the one we fear. We fear God, but part of our fear of God leads us to honor our president. That's what it says. So let me close by just sharing with you here this um, uh, prayer. came from a guy named Peter Marshall. He was pastor of a Presbyterian church in New York City. This is 1947. It's the day before July 4th. And... This man was called to be chaplain of the U.S. Senate. So he stood before the U.S. Senate and gave this prayer. 1947, he says, God of our fathers, whose almighty hand has made and preserved our nation, grant that our people may understand what it is that they celebrate tomorrow, July 4th. May they remember how bitterly our freedom was won, the down payment that was made for it, the installments that have been made since this republic was born, and the price that must yet be paid for our liberty. But then he says this, May freedom be seen, not as the right to do as we please, but as the opportunity to please to do what is right. That's why we're free, to do what is right. And what God says is it is right to be subject to authority. Let's pray. Lord, God, um, we pray for the grace of your Spirit to enable us, Lord, to obey this passage. Help us, Father, to discern when is it right for us to resist, when is it right for us to submit. Help us to know that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.